Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and thanks for joining us on this last day of 2023. We're celebrating New Year's Eve, and it's great to have you with us on Lou Dobbs Sunday. Let's start with the raging, rampant anti-Semitism on our college campuses, which caught just about everybody by surprise, and the moral paralysis of Harvard's leadership. Unable to come to terms, it seems, with bigotry and charges of plagiarism against their president, Claudine Gay. Gay, by the way, and you haven't seen this reported, if, if at all, in the national media, but Claudine Gay recommended for that job less than a year ago by none other than President Barack Obama, who also reportedly lobbied hard for Gay as the scandal broke and worsened and worsened. Harvard's worst scandal, in fact, in almost four centuries. With us, Cornell Law Professor William Jacobson. Great to have you with us, Professor. Your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, well, it's really, I think, is a reflection of the decline of our elite academic institutions. You see uh, a philosophy uh, characterized in different ways. You could call it critical race theory. You could call it diversity, equity, inclusion. You could call it whatever you want. But it is elevating politics over academic substance. It is centering race in the middle of everything. And it has a very fundamentally anti-American flavor to it, anti-capitalist flavor to it. And unfortunately, in this kind of toxic mix that's going on in academia, the most radical elements have chosen to single out Jews as the object of their hatred, something that we know has gone on many times in history. Uh, And the people who should be the adults in the room, the presidents of universities, have proven that they are not adults when it comes to these matters. And and that's really what we're seeing. You can't judge what's going on now in the narrow scope of the last 30 or 60 days. You really have to view it in the scope of what has happened to academia in the last 20 to 30 years. You know, I've often thought, and I know this is going to be controversial for some people, but to have academic programs uh, on ethnocentric uh, subjects uh, is to me a dilution of the of academia. Uh, then to take that to another step and have actually uh, political uh, activist education, whether it be the Kennedy School, whatever it may be, uh, Stanford, whatever it may be, the university, uh, instead of the fundamental university subjects that one associates with that of producing, uh, graduating uh, men and women of true education in the classical sense. Uh, it is, I, I frankly think that it is a a crime for these universities to be charging fifty to what eighty eighty five thousand dollars a year for the education that's being provided. Your thoughts. I think that's right. I mean, I think we are not educating people, at least at these elite institutions. Um, Notice, and other people have commented on this, we don't see these protests and these riots in favor of terrorists at community colleges, where students are more likely to actually want to learn something that will help them in their life. Uh, We're seeing them at the most elite institutions, and I I think it's a, a complete failure of the system. We have elevated identity politics over merit. We have elevated equity, meaning equalizing outcomes and manipulating outcomes over equality, where everybody is treated fairly. And so that's what we're seeing go on. And it's really tragic. We're not graduating 
the future generations that we need to keep this country strong. We're graduating people who have been schooled in an ideology of tearing down our society. If you look at all of these ideologies that are creating this toxic mix on campuses, it's a hatred of our system and a desire to tear us down. Of course, they don't understand what the consequences of that will be, but understanding is not really what it's about. These are essentially what you would see in many cases at at a North Korean rally, just people chanting slogans they don't even necessarily understand. There have been a number of people who've interviewed students on campuses chanting from the river to the sea, and they can't tell you what river and what sea. They just mind-numbed chanting of these these genocidal um, doctrines. And so it's really scary. It's a, it's a time where I hope what has happened the last month and two months on campuses is a massive wake-up to our country that what's happening on campuses is, poses a, a long-term threat to our country. I, th- I think you're right in both instances. Uh, it's a long-term threat. It's, uh, it should be a wake-up call. Your thoughts about a university, any university, that had witnessed their president do uh, what uh, Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard University, had done before the uh, hearing in the U.S. in the U.S. Congress, who is accused of plagiarism, who is accused of constricting, constraining free speech, uh, who is accused of uh, outing, uh, ousting a professor who just happened to defend. Uh, the uh, Harvey Weinstein, uh, what, what is your reaction to that? And how in the world could any board of trustees, uh, corporate board of any university support that? Well, it's hard to understand in any reasonable corporate fiduciary sense. Uh, she was a failure in her relatively short term so far as president. And you need a president precisely to deal with times of crisis such as has happened the last 60 days, and she's been unable to deal with it. In fact, the dealings she's had with it have made the situation worse, not better. They're an embarrassment to Harvard. I've read someplace that they've lost over a billion dollars in pledged Mm. donations because of it. Uh, And then it comes out that she legitimately plagiarized in multiple papers, you know, other authors. And the Harvard board, in their announcement that they are sticking with her, acknowledged that their review found four instances of uh, lacking attribution in her papers. Uh, there are other people who found more, and the, but they don't feel it was serious enough, and they're going to allow her to issue corrections to her papers. I mean, this is insane. <laughs> really, it is. I don't mean to laugh about it, but this is insane. You have somebody who's a complete failure, who embarrassed the university, who cost them a billion dollars, who gets caught plagiarizing, and they're going to stand with her. And I think the problem is they're between a rock and a hard place. I mean, she was appointed because she was a strict adherent and promoter of diversity, equity, and inclusion ideology. I mean, a paper leaked out recently that she had written, uh, you know, that she was going to push that into every aspect of the university. The university is in a hard place. If they fire a black woman president who was hired because she is a devotee of diversity, equity, and inclusion, you can imagine the uproar they're going to face from the student activists and from the faculty activists. But if they keep her on, it's immensely damaging long-term to the brand of Harvard. And maybe they think they're above it. Maybe they think their brand can't be permanently tarnished because it's Harvard. Well, you know what? 
the people who branded Bud Light thought the same thing, and they found out differently. I yeah. think that they are in an extremely uh, difficult position, and I think that this will seriously hurt the Harvard brand, the Ivy League brand, and I think that the nation is waking up to the fact that these elite institutions, and I work at one of them, um, are doing tremendous damage to the country. I guess it's just simply reflex. What would the Harvard board have done uh, if the president was a white male and done precisely the same thing? Because what we're getting into is the politics of both condescension and patronage. Uh, it is, uh, to me, it is just inexcusable, and it puts the lie further uh, to diversity, equity, and inclusion. What are your thoughts about the necessity to get rid of ESG, DEI, all of this nonsense? Yes. I mean, while you were talking, I was thinking back, you know, there's a book, I think it was in the late 70s, called Harvard Hates America. And uh, it was such a great, it was a bestseller. It was a big hit at the time. People have probably forgotten it. But Harvard Hates America, and it, it's absolutely true. They sneer at, you know, ordinary citizens that consider themselves above. And the way they're acting now, I think, is a perfect example. As to DEI and ESG and all of those, uh, you know, ESG is more of a corporate thing. Uh, and I think from an investment point of view, it's right. nonsense. But, uh, you know, DEI is a, an academic thing. It's a campus thing. I mean, it's moved beyond campus, but it's basically a campus thing. And, you know, regardless of whether you're a Democrat or Republican or regardless of who you support, in the Republican primary, um, what they're doing in Florida, what Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida is part of the answer. It is defund these bureaucracies, defund these government salaried bureaucracies who are causing such monumental pain. I mean, we've been at my website and, and I've been screaming for years that DEI is poisonous. It breaks people into identity groups. It forces them to be treated not as you know, fully human individuals, but as humans who are merely part of a greater group, a group identity. It pits right. people against each other and it pits people against their country. Get rid of it. It has to be gotten rid of. You can't tweak it around the edges. Professor, just a, a short while ago, short, what, two months ago, uh, Cornell was in the midst of its own controversy. What is the envir environment now? Has the campus settled down and are you moving to a better path? Well, it's certainly not as bad as it was six weeks ago when there was a professor who announced he was exhilarated while, when he heard of the Hamas attack. Um, there were student groups chanting, you know, from the river to the sea and intifada intifada, which is the bloody uh, suicide bombing campaign against Israel. Uh, there was a student who appears to have become radicalized while at Cornell, who actually posted threats to shoot and shoot up the uh, kosher dining hall, uh, was arrested, charged in federal court now. Uh, it was a bad scene and, and a completely um, incompetent response from the administration that really they just reacted to pressure from alumni and the media couldn't figure out the right thing to do the first time. So it's not a great situation. I think the I have zero confidence that the administration is going to do anything other than try to wait it out and try to avoid having to take any meaningful action on campus. They just announced a new policy that um, because, you know, of the presidents who testified in Congress couldn't say that calling for genocide 
is uh, against campus policy. Um, they, they announced a policy, yes, calling for genocide is against Cornell's policy. But the way they define genocide is not the standard definition of genocide. Um, you know, the UN, the Holocaust Museum, the United States Congress, they all have gener- uh, definitions of, gen- of genocide, which do not limit it to the complete eradication of a people. Yet Cornell announces that a call to kill all members of a group, all members of a group, um, is a call for genocide and will not be tolerated on campus. Well, that's just a dodge. <laughs> Nobody defines gen- genocide that way. That's a subset of genocide, and nobody's calling for that. Uh, and so they create this fictitious, phony uh, definition of genocide, which is not a standard definition, uh, that they know is not what people call for. And what they're doing is they're trying to do it to avoid having to deal with the problem on campus of people calling for violence against Jews, because if they don't call to kill all Jews, then it's not a call for genocide, according to the Cornell administration, which, of course, is absurd. That whole thing tells me they are not serious about this. They're treating this as a public relations exercise, and they think they can wordsmith their way around it. But I can tell you, alumni are very upset. I think parents are very upset. I think students are very upset. And Cornell's just going to try to rope-a-dope it and wait it out and hope we go on winter break. And when everybody comes back in six weeks, it's all forgotten. I don't know if that will happen, but I think that's their strategy. Is there enough independent thought within the students of Cornell for those students to come back organized and to meet the the threat of DEI, CRT, or critical legal theory, whatever you want to call it, uh, and to take it head on and the administration. Uh, or is this, are we reaching a point where students uh, who are, uh, you know, who are in these institutions get out of the trap and start, just start moving to universities or colleges or, or programs in which they get an education, but get rid of all the other nonsense. I mean, they're being indoctrinated. They are being threatened. Uh, and I don't understand why people don't, the federal government, is in most instances, and the federal government in this case are American taxpayers. American taxpayers are spending more money on those students than the parents of those students are on tuition. I mean, this is ridiculous. And those parents are middle class for the most part, and and they're paying for a Harvard education that is, frankly, nowhere near what it once was. Yeah, I, I don't think the current students will be able will, uh rise up, so to speak. I think that they feel very bullied. Uh, I think they feel that to speak out means they will be targeted. Remember, we have mobs of students running through the campus with bullhorns chanting for violence. Uh, I think it's a lot to ask, you know, a sophomore in college to stand up to that. Uh, So, but what will happen with, you know, future applications in future generations. I mean, Harvard will always fill its class and there'll always be more people who want the name and want the diploma uh, and don't care about it. But I do believe we are developing in this country something of a red-blue divide at the university level. People will have choices. They can go to the University of Florida or many other universities in red states, public universities, and they're not going to find this level of DEI indoctrination. In fact, it's being defunded. Or they can go to schools in New York, public universities, or California, and they will be inundated with it. Or they can go to private elite colleges where they will be inundated with it, and they're going to have to make choices. I think just like people vote with their feet 
moving south. If you look at all the demographic maps showing, you know, trends of where people move, it's all north to south. Nobody's moving north. Uh, and I think you'll see that in academia. It may take, you know, a few years to play itself out. And I don't dismiss the Ivy League credential being an allure for people. But I think you will see people moving to other, you know, locations for academia, for academics, just as you see them moving to other locations for other things in life. Yeah, I think there was a time when every parent would have been very proud to have their kids uh, going off to an Ivy League school. You get the last word here, Professor. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, my last word is this is an opportunity for change. The complete implosion in the public perception of the elite institutions is a chance for, for change, for the better, to strengthen our country and to strengthen the institutions. And don't let this moment pass. It's a moment created by the institutions. They are, you know, uh, self-destructing in front of our very eyes. They have enormous hypocrisy. They're losing credibility. And we shouldn't let that pass. You know, to, to use a famous political phrase, don't let a crisis go to waste. And, and the crisis on campuses is something we can't let go to waste. We have to turn it into a better situation uh, because otherwise it's just going to get worse. Professor William Jacobson will be right back with much more talking with John McLaughlin, one of the country's top strategists. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. And now, prominent Republican strategist and pollster and advisor to President Trump, John McLaughlin, for his insight into the president's campaign. President Trump, now seen by many uh, many Americans, is what a New York Times columnist called the candidate who represents, for most, a return to normalcy. And John, always good to see you. What does the next month look like to you? Well, I think what's going on is a battle for second place between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. Donald Trump has a decisive lead. He's secured his base. He's done so many good things for Iowa where, you know, the idea of uh, uh, what he's done with the tariffs, with uh, China, et cetera, bringing dollars to farmers, protecting the corn growers with their ethanol industry, et cetera. So he has done great things for Iowa. Plus, what's more important is Iowa voters, anybody who goes out to a caucus on a cold night on January 13th to hang around for a little bit and then finally get to vote, those are real patriotic people, and uh, they are the the Trump campaign has a great organization. It's driven. Uh, their captains are driving out ten for Trump. They're bringing new people into the caucuses. So while while Nikki Haley and DeSantis, you know, battle for second uh, as DeSantis collapses, we're picking up votes from DeSantis and Nikki Haley's. Uh, you know, she's 
pouring in tens of millions of dollars from these American oligarchs that support amnesty, tra free trade with China to send our jobs over there, and 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 basically oppose putting up the wall and, and securing the border. Uh, you know, those are her friends, and and so Iowa voters are not going to be fooled. Donald Trump's going to win, and and uh, uh, in Iowa, and the you know the there's a battle for New Hampshire where you know Ron DeSantis has collapsed there. And again, Nikki Haley is getting lots of support from these billionaire never Trumpers to try to basically take away control of the Republican Party from Donald Trump and give it back to the rhino establishment, which is right. scary. And, and, you know, I mean, the New Hampshire voters are realizing they now have a border with Canada where they're getting illegal immigration from the north. And, and they've got a and they've got a governor up, uh, you know, just doing everything he can for the establishment candidate, uh, Nikki Haley, who's never obviously seen a wall she wants built on the uh, southern border. She wants more of those illegal immigrants as long as the oligarchs are calling for them. And oh yeah, why don't we do something for the military industrial complex? Let's just bomb the hell out of something, uh, whether it's in Europe or whether it is in uh, uh, you know somewhere in the Middle East. I, I mean, she's all in with the oligarchs, I, I, and she's expecting to be considered for, for a, a high office this is scary stuff yeah no i agree with you and when you and when you think about it you know new hampshire's what's great is it's the live free or die state it's 250 years ago since the boston tea party and they're close by etc and when you think about it nikki haley uh you know i know that they've you know they've gone after our raising gas taxes too but she was in favor of the fair tax and right. And fair tax in theory might work, but in reality, a 23% national sales tax on food, cars, homes, really bad idea. But to a lot of these oligarchs, it makes sense because that way you can punish the working middle class of America. Sure. And sure. they'll get a lot of money with the, like a national VAT. And they won't, you know, they won't cut the income tax or get rid of it. So it's like, again, this is her candidacy represents these oligarchs controlling the, the exploited working men and women of America. And that's what Donald Trump stands for. And they are going all out to stop us in New Hampshire and we are going to beat them. Donald Trump, I, I think he has absolutely the best political messaging uh, in American history. Apparently, Joe Biden is a little upset about his falling poll numbers. <laughs> now, this is coming from his aides. I personally don't believe he even could recognize what a poll is or the number. But his aides are saying that's what he's doing. Uh, your reaction to his poll numbers uh, and how could they be otherwise? Um, they're accurate. They finally caught up with our polls. But in the meantime, I think you underestimate Biden. Now, he is he, he is showing his age a lot more than Trump. But I'll tell you, it's not age. The corruption from Biden. He's really worried that if he loses the White House, you know, right now they can stop they can stop an impeachment hearing because of the briberies and the corruption and scandal. But they they won't be able to stop a real investigation that uh, that would go into his family where they've taken these tens of billions of dollars of bribes if Donald Trump is president. And on the other hand, what's more important is the American people see through this. In that poll that we just did right before Christmas in, in uh, uh, across the country, 67% of all voters say that the indictments of Donald Trump was just politics. Sixty of another fifty-eight percent 
say that uh, that Joe Biden played a role in this. So the majority of Americans think that Joe Biden, and they're accurate, they're right from all the evidence, appointed Jack Smith, basically got Fannie Willis, got Alvin Bragg, got Letitia James, all to go after his opponent, Donald Trump. And they think this is about stopping Trump from running for president 49 to 38. They think there's a double standard of justice among all voters. They say 56% to 34. And they also say, let the voters decide who the president's going to be, not the courts, 56 to, to 36. So the voters want to decide. President. So that's, by the way, my poll has Trump at 47%, but 56% of the voters say, let this decide. There's voters out there that are undecided that are thinking of voting for Donald Trump. But if you throw him off the ballot, that decision's taken away. And, exactly. And, and, yeah. and it's, you know, I'm sure you have feelings about it like most Americans, but Donald Trump has you know, never been charged with insurrection, never been convicted of insurrection. But Joe Biden thinks and he said it publicly. He said that he's, he, he he firmly believes Donald Trump is violated the 14th Amendment somehow. And the last yeah, time those Biden Democrats did this. Did yeah, you know, Abraham Lincoln and started a civil war. John, let, let's look at these polls. Uh, that, uh, some polls show the president up as much as 50%, some more. Uh, and it, it, you go over to real clear politics and you see some rather more modest margins. What, what's going on? Well, I, th I think, you know, there's been a more competitive, the early states are more competitive. However, buyer beware. Even though I'm a pollster and do it for a living, uh, statistics are an inexact science and people, uh, God forbid, but they play games with polls. So in December, in December in New Hampshire, th this poll's not on the Real Clear Politics average, but there's uh, an American research group manufactured a poll right before Christmas that had Trump only up four points in New Hampshire. Now, what's really interesting about that is every other poll in December on the Real Clear Politics average has him up someplace between 14 points and 30 points. And it depends upon how many independents you put in the poll versus uh, versus Republicans. Among the Republicans, for example, the St. Anson poll, Trump's up 56-22. Among the UMass YouGov poll in New Hampshire, Trump's up 59-22. Among the CBS YouGov poll, we're, among Republicans, we're up 52-24. And then they have us running even or a little ahead among the independents. But then the percent of independents that they have in the poll uh, so, like, in 2016, when Trump won New Hampshire, only a third were independents. Two-thirds were Republicans. Because you got to vote in a Republican primary. you got to be a registered Republican or an independent. says, yeah, I want to be a Republican now. So, uh, uh, so there's some of these polls, like the one uh, St. Anne's only had 50% Republicans in the sample. The CBS poll only had 48%. So, uh, uh, so what you've got is people playing games with these New Hampshire polls to create a contest with Haley. But I will tell you the one thing, the big contest is she is a rhino. She's an establishment candidate. She has weak positions where she has liberal positions on immigration, on the wall, on trade with China, and on taxes. And the base of the Republican Party and the independents that vote with us side with Donald Trump as a strong conservative candidate. So like in 1980, when it was the battle for the soul of the Republican Party in the primary with New Hampshire when Reagan beat Bush, we are going to see Donald Trump beat Nikki Haley.
Well, John, this the country's uh, screaming for the for the result and uh, for him to be back in office. Uh, and it's all selfish. Uh, we all want a better country and we want better lives. And it's it's that simple. He is the path. He is the man who'll get us uh, up that path. I want to turn to the uh, uh, the Cook Political Report shifting Michigan, Nevada toward the Republican Party. Uh, what's going on there? Same thing. I've seen the polls where working middle class Americans who may have voted for Joe Biden last time uh, are now voting for Donald Trump. So union members in Michigan realize their auto jobs depend on Donald Trump. They, they, they will be out of work with Joe Biden with his electric car mandates and their jobs will go to China. Uh, in Nevada, you have the, you know, the tourism, the hospitality industry. They flourished when Donald Trump was president under Joe Biden. Even Hispanic voters that may have voted for Joe Biden and have come here legally and are citizens, they don't like the open borders. They don't like the lack of economic growth. So they're voting for Donald Trump. So right now, those those when Charlie Cook puts gives the different Republicans a break, you know, we're doing really well. <laughs> Well, I think that's a wonderful way to look at it. Uh, the, the president right now, as he is campaigning, he is dealing, obviously, with all of the the, the persecution uh, uh, indictments against him, everything that they can pull out. Uh, one of the most interesting developments I've seen uh, is that Ed Meese, the attorney general under Ronald Reagan, has advanced, uh, along with two other prominent uh, uh, legal uh, talents, uh, a the view that Jack Smith is in an unlawful office. He is an illegitimate special counsel because Congress did not create the office. Uh, the Senate did not confirm uh, Jack Smith, all of which are required. Uh, your take on the potential impact of that development? Um, it's I'm sure it's unconstitutional. Ed Meese, I have great respect for. I'm sure they're right. It's unconstitutional, but the Constitution is an option for the Biden Democrats. They don't, you know, they're trying to throw Donald Trump off the off the ballot. So, you know, if that's not a violation of the Constitution, I don't know what is. Right. So, uh, so much for free speech. You know, they won because they censored Hunter Biden's laptop stories. They censored the New York Post. Alexander Hamilton founded it, the oldest newspaper in America. They censored it off Twitter, the internet, the news, and yeah. so if they can, you know, if, if they can tear up the Constitution and win in twenty twenty, they'll do it again. You know, that's the way Biden works. Well, yeah. we're going we're going to leave it there uh, and hope that uh, at least the Republican Party has the uh, the energy, organization, and commitment to make certain that this is a fair and free election. Uh, but uh, that likely won't happen under uh, Ronna McDaniel. So I hope that the the President Trump replaces her straight away. Uh, quickly, your thought on that? My thought on that right now is 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 we have to basically we have to we have to win Iowa we have to win New Hampshire we have to secure the nomination and then I'm sure there will be improvements at the Republican National Committee. So. Jim McLaughlin is always with a with a far and focused scope. We appreciate it so much. Thanks, John McLaughlin. God bless you. Thank you. Keep keep getting the word out there, Lou. Thanks, John. And coming up here next, we talk with NSA former senior intelligence analyst Russ Tice about what is going on with the surveillance state. Stay with us. 
And now we turn to the Speaker of the House and his troubles finding his voice and his balance in the tumultuous swamp. Speaker Mike Johnson putting the FISA reauthorization into the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, and putting himself squarely on the wrong side of the contest between the American people versus the surveillance state. With us, Russ Tice, former NSA senior intelligence analyst and whistleblower. Russ, your thoughts on all this? Well, ultimately, 702 is, I think there's like three different elements involved here. One wants to limit the uh, the capabilities uh, of the intelligence services and, and the uh, basically the mass production of intelligence on that involves American citizens. Uh, another element wants to, to expire, and I kind of I'm kind of went in with that group. And then the third, they're the the staunch supporters of the bill, and they want to enhance it. And not not only that, but they 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 want to uh, make it so that it's uh, it's indestructible. So um, it looks like that uh, that they're going to put it into the National Defense Authorization Act and kick it down the road for a few months. I, I believe that at some point point it has to be addressed, but but we can tell. Who who basically is controlled by the intelligence services by by who's supporting this thing, even the ones that are kind of hedging and you know that ultimately, I think someone's being controlled. Well, I think a lot of people are being controlled, Russ. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, and to that point, as Chairman uh, Mike Turner of the House Intelligence Committee, I mean the man has everything but a, a sandwich board uh, as he walks around the the House of Representatives. Uh, advertising that he uh, doesn't care about citizens' rights to privacy, that he is a complete and utter, in my opinion, sellout to the to the intelligence agencies. The, the question, as Rand Paul would say, is why not just get a warrant? If you suspect someone of some nefarious act, get a warrant, and you can do all these things under a warrant, um, just like any other criminal um Act. Ultimately, what's happening here is they're accessing a database, which is it's still everything, and it, there's no there's no responsibility. There's no there's no um, interpretation of this from the intelligence community as to how it's being interpreted as to as to, to what is collection, what is um, what is surveillance, and ultimately what is in action on that. The NSA is still collecting everything word for word and they're not telling us that um, in many cases uh, the FBI is getting their hands on this stuff and then they're just they're just they're, they're going on fishing expeditions or they're going on expeditions where they're, they're just looking on for dirt on someone uh, who's targeted and then and then from there they build a case after the fact um, our, our judicial system's not supposed to work that way no, it isn't supposed to work that way, but the judicial system has its own uh, levels of corruption, uh, as well as the intelligence community, as well as the FBI, the Department of Justice. I mean, everywhere we turn, we're looking at uh, outright corruption uh, in the Biden regime. And it didn't start with the Biden regime, we should be clear. I mean, it's been there for a long time. It's just been built to in incredible levels under this uh uh, this puppet president uh, who is impaired and compromised himself uh, is Congress is moving forward th with this bill. What astonishes me is that the NSA, as you say, has all of these uh, records, all communications, whether the, so long as they're digital, 
And we hear that Secret Service say they can't find something. Uh, they can't turn it over because they lost it, uh, whether it's visitor logs, whether it's text messages from their agents, uh, whatever it may be on, uh, for example, January 6th. Why, why do people not want to acknowledge that the NSA has all of this material? And it's, if you will, it's not what its intended purpose is, of course, but why not? bring that material up from the NSA uh, and and provide it to the American public and certainly to the Congress and the Senate. Well, that would expose the lie, wouldn't it? The NSA is saying that, you know, that before it was just metadata, which was also a lie because they were targeting people. But once they had the capability, and this happened around the end of 2012 into very early 2013, especially when they brought that facility up uh, in Utah, the database uh, storage facility there, that that's when they had the capability to, to collect and store everything. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, that they, they look at, you know, you don't have enough analysts to look at it. I mean, we're literally talking about word for word for everything that's said in this country. So, so little Jenny in junior high school talking to Joni about how cute Johnny is, is not something that too many people care about, but it's still recorded there. So, if, if they expose the fact that they're collecting everything, then it exposes the lie that, that they are still doing mass collection. It's the interpretation that's the key. They're saying that they're not doing surveillance because they're not looking at it. Uh, they're only storing it, in, or actually collecting it and running it through filters and then storing right. it in the big warehouse. So that's the problem. Even under when we had... Uh, when we had uh, Section 215 under the Patriot Act, they would they would not give an interpretation of how they were they were they were um, using that uh, as far as collection. Even way back in the executive order a- after Reagan, uh, once the Bushes got in, the executive order one two three three three, how they how they were altering that as far as their interpretation. So basically, they're bastardizing. And, and mutating all these things to to um, to configure as to how they want to use them, and they're not telling us that. And th- another thing, there's no pushback. So the FISA, the FISA, and then and, and that leads to oh my goodness, could you imagine where where they could do something like this, and they could literally use it to go after a president of the United States? Oh wait a minute, they did, didn't they? So they did. Th- there's no pushback. They did, and uh, there's a lot of pushing going on. Maybe not pushback, but a lot of pushing and shoving, and the guy, it's all coming from the government. One of the things that I would like to see are all those, what was it, 33,000 Hillary Clinton emails. I'd like to see that, uh, and I don't understand why we can't. Uh, they say it's because it's lost, but we know it's not lost because it's it's stored somewhere in a, on an NSA server. Well, it would expose the lie that they're not doing it. And second of all, it would take away their means of control because right now, when you have, when you can go to Hillary Clinton and say, "By the way, we have all that stuff," regardless of what, how you smash it up with hammers and and, and grinders and how, you know what, and, and run it through all the the different uh, systems to wipe, uh, you know, uh, bleach the, uh, bit. the slates, bleach bit, whatever it was, uh, they still have it. So, so we we now own you, Hillary Clinton. And, and we own all, all the all all the supporters and the vestiges of your empire. So um, 
which is part of the deep state. So once again, when it comes to those uh, those bills that uh, send money our way to the intelligence community, y'all better just uh, stand in line and salute and make sure that that cash keeps coming. So we're not only a surveillance state now, we are a surveillance state that is suffocating uh, its citizens with that uh, surveillance. And it's your view, and this is important for everyone to hear, it's your view that there is not a single thing that the intelligence agencies are doing with Section 702 that couldn't be done with a judge and a warrant. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. But, you know, but, but okay, it means that you won't have the ability to go back into the past and dig up the last 10, 15 years of what right. said target of, of whatever investigation is going to be. <clears throat> But the whole concept of the Constitution is that you have to have probable cause to believe that there's a crime, and then you can go and, and take someone's uh, right to privacy away. You know, you just don't do it uh, beforehand and then start digging afterwards because that could potentially lead to abuse. And if the information's there, it's just so tempting for any politician to go, you know, I want to find out what my uh, adversary is doing here or there or whatever and just start digging into that, that pile. And the intelligence community will say, well, well, we'll let you dig into the pile, but you owe us. And that's kind of the way I think it's working. Is it your view that not only are people being controlled, but they're being blackmailed and uh, we, can't, uh, we can't just easily accept uh, the, the political motivations for what these two political parties are doing? Absolutely. And it's both parties. It's both sides. So... Um, oh, gee, you know, uh, seven years ago, I had a little little fling with uh, with my uh, my intern, um, uh, or or you know, I took some land deal that uh, some sweetheart land deal that is very questionable, or or you know, I took uh, I don't know a, a, a foreign country sent me some gold bars that I put in my jacket or something I slipped away into my uh, my, my safe at my house or or whatever the case may be. You know, we're talking about some people in, in uh, there on Capitol Hill that um, that, are, that aren't the most. You know, I, I, every time I hear "honorable" when I see these names, I just kind of I have to smirk because there's not a whole lot of honor uh, with most of these reprobates. Um, it, it's it's kind of funny because I think they all have dirt and 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 they know that the that the intelligence community um, knows where their closets are and, and can put the put the flashlight in there and see what's going on. Now comes another letter, uh, 46 uh, names on it of uh, Intel veterans saying that the 702 has to be, uh, has to be affirmed, passed through law and, uh, you know, devil take the hindmost when it comes to any kind of reform. Don't touch it. It'll spoil uh, everything that we do in national security. Your reaction uh, to, to that? Well, uh, the, this is the deep state. You know, these are the, uh, um, the the creatures of the deep space, deep state and, and swamp. Um, so of course, and, and and their power base. So this is Lord forbid that uh, you know you take away their ability to control people. Uh, I, and and they'd like to say that oh my goodness that because they've been in the business that the that the, this this is so esoteric that the common man and the common congressman can't understand the. The, uh, the intricacies of, of how important this is, and and that oh by the way that we are just so we are just so um, omniscient that uh, that that you must believe us because you know 
when ultimately they're, they're the ones that are that are using this to their own benefit and uh, to the detriment of our own um, uh, civil liberties. Is there a way you see that these agencies could be reformed uh, and and straightened out, or are they a lost cause? Some are a lost cause. I think the FBI is a lost cause. That has to be that has to be literally burned down and, and rebuilt or, or or disseminated into other elements. But the, the intelligence service. We need accountability. We need to go in, and all the SCSs, the senior executive service, need to be fired immediately. And then you need to bring people up. I mean, there there are people that are whistleblowers, like the the the, the guy in the Marine Corps and the the IRS and and a couple right. FBI guys. You know, there are people out there, but uh, you have to be able to take the people that have done this, and you have to make them accountable for the crimes they've committed. Otherwise, the, the people, even after, say, Mr. Trump is in for four years and he gets out, then you have the whole thing coming right back because people go, I wasn't held accountable before. I'm just going to keep doing this. Until someone sees someone sees a general doing a pert walk or the director of an agency doing a pert work and behind bars for two or three years, that's, until that accountability is there, this is going to keep happening. Russ Tice, great American. And our next guest is Congressman Bob Good. What happens next in the D.C. swamp? Stay with us. We're coming right back. Welcome back. And the new chairman of the House Freedom Caucus takes over tomorrow. Congressman Bob Good is our guest today. Thanks for joining us. Poll after poll shows President Trump, Bob, absolutely dominating. And yet, the rhinos of your party seem to be struggling with the reality that he is the head of the party, a party, without question, divided by that FISA renewal, Ukraine, and the southern cartel border, and the budget. Will this year make, well, will it be any different? Well, I would think so, and I would hope so. I think the American people, Lou, are connecting in a greater way than we've seen in, in decades bad government policy and politics to the suffering that they are enduring under this administration. I think the American people recognize that something has to change with the federal spending as they're suffering under 40-year high inflation and 20-year high interest rates and grocery prices and, and housing prices and, and uh, rental prices. And, and then, but then also the war on affordable, reliable energy, the force of trying to force an electric vehicle upon you, trying to control how you can heat or cool your home and when the, what kind of an appliance you can own. And they're seeing the gas prices, utility prices uh, going through the roof, energy just uh, getting more and more expensive. Not to mention, I think they're concerned about the military and are standing on the national stage. They're concerned, as you mentioned, about the border. They're concerned about rising crime. They're concerned about what's going on in their schools. Uh, all of those things, I think, more than ever before, the American people are connecting those to bad policy by the Democrats. They look at the blue states and the blue cities, and those are the, the Democrats' example for America. So I think we have an opportunity to uh, expand our majority in the House, take back the Senate, and to take the White House. But we have to earn it, and we have to work for it every day, and uh, we can take nothing for granted. It's, it's a wonder how could it even be close? How could the election be close just because of the border? The Democrats should never win another election. Just because the climate, environmental extremism, and the war on reliable, affordable energy, if, if American people fully understand how the Democrats want to uh, change how we live 
and handicap us economically and, and strip away our freedoms in the name of keeping us safe from the climate. Democrats should never win another election. If the American people understood what the Democrat real view is on sex and gender and transgenderism and what they want to do in our schools to indoctrinate our kids and sexualize our kids, they should never win another election. If they fully understood, again, that they want to weaken the military, inhibit its ability to defend us and to keep us safe, they should never win another election. Uh, and I do think the American people are realizing that to a greater degree than certainly in my lifetime, at least going back 40 years or so since maybe the Reagan era. Uh, and so I'm hopeful and optimistic, but we got to work to earn it. We got to deliver on the House. We got to utilize the majority that we have to force the president and the Senate to pass and sign into law H.R. 2 border security. You could argue that we should just shut down the government and refuse to do anything else until they join us in securing the border. The real issues this time are going to be, if they're interested in national security, why did they go along with uh, $4 trillion in spending, really unlimited spending uh, by this uh, administration? How do you rationalize that when you stand before the voters? Because that is directly related to the quality of our national security. How do you explain that if you're talking about foreign policy and national security, that we've got the smallest military since before World War II? We have a mess that is authored by Joe Biden, but the Republicans have been reading reading along in that book. And I don't mean to get into an extensive political strategy, but how in the world do you convince the rest of people in your conference to protect the American people and quit being just another, you know, filling another seat as if you were a Marxist dem? Not you, but members of your conference. You're a great American. Thank you, Lou. Well said. What I'm trying to do is convince my colleagues that we don't win by compromise and working with the Democrats. These the Democrat parties become pure evil that wants to destroy the country. We win by defeating them, by exposing them, by holding them accountable, by bringing transparency, what they're trying to do and trying to use every leverage lever in our power, every, every lever at our disposal, every piece of, of power that we have to try to defeat them with the House majority that we have. We haven't demonstrated that resolve, that courage, that willingness to fight and to endure discomfort and, and temporary consequence in order to bring long-term victory for the American people. Uh, as one of my colleagues has said, we, we try to say, hey, we'll fight next time. We'll fight next time. Well, the one, one advantage we would have if we were to fight next time would be the element of surprise because nobody believes we're actually going to fight next time. So that would be one advantage, uh, which is one of the arts of war, I'm told. So, But uh, we, we, we can't kid ourselves into thinking that losing and surrendering today facilitates winning and victory tomorrow. No, winning and victory today. Our thanks to Bob Good, chair of the House Freedom Caucus and a great American. Thank you, everybody, for being with us today. Please join us here next weekend for Lou Dobbs Sunday. God bless you, and a happy, healthy new year to you and yours.